The Old Testament lesson for the 25th Sunday after Trinity is from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 24th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, When you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. 
And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. If you were to just look at a list of movies made over the last 20, 30, maybe even 40 years, you would find that we are a people fascinated with the end of all things from movies about natural disasters that destroy the earth to zombie apocalypses to what have you, the imagination is a powerful thing, and people love to imagine what the end will be like. I'd invite you to consider why that might be the case. I don't really know why we are so fascinated with the end. Maybe it has to do with the idea that when the end comes, all bets are off. Everything that we've been carrying along with us, all of our assumptions, all of our baggage, all of it goes away, and if you survive, everything gets to start over. Maybe that's one of the reasons people love to imagine the apocalypse. The disciples have a question about the end of all things. They're not unlike us. Jesus has walked into Jerusalem at the end of his ministry. It's Holy Week in Matthew chapter 24. He rode in on the donkey, and the crowds were singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus went into the temple, and he drove out the money changers and the merchants, and he said to his disciples, this house will become a desolation. This house will become a desolation when the disciples point out to Jesus how beautiful the stones are in that building, that temple, which has been standing for some time, and which the people of Israel labored so hard to construct. Jesus tells the disciples, there's coming a day when not one of these stones will be left on top of another. An end is coming. This is not the first time Jesus has talked about an end coming. He has, at this point in the gospel, three times told his disciples that the end of his life is coming. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and the people, and they will abuse me, and they will mock me, and they will crucify me, and on the third day I will rise. Jesus has told them exactly what's going to happen, an end to his life. When the disciples hear all of this, they are perplexed. They struggle to believe it. They don't want to believe it. And so they ask Jesus, just before our lesson today, they ask him, what will be the sign? When will all of these things happen? This destruction of the temple, the stones being toppled, when will that happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? They want to know. They want to know what to expect. They want to be able to make sense of it. They want to prepare for it. And so Jesus answers their question, but it is a surprising answer. He lists all kinds of signs. 
You heard a number of them today. Things that are going to happen. Terrible trouble, a great tribulation, people fleeing for their lives. Jesus goes through a whole long list of signs, persecutions, famine, wars, and rumors of wars. And he says to his disciples at every turn, when these things are happening, it is not yet the end. In fact, Jesus says these are just the beginnings of the birth pains. They're just the beginning of the end. So don't look for a sign like you might expect. Don't look for the world to be falling apart as a sign of the end. Instead, Jesus says that at the end, everyone is going to be living as if nothing were wrong. It'll be just like in the days of Noah, when people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and everybody was pleasant and life seemed good while that crazy fool was building his ark. No one thought the world was coming to an end. That's When the end will come, no one knows that day, Jesus says. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man. Which is why, by the way, you can discount anybody, absolutely anybody who makes any claim about knowing when the end will come. They're always wrong. They never know. Not even Jesus knows. In view of all of this, Jesus has three things that he really wants to make clear to his disciples. The first is that they should not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he also says, while all of these fearful things are happening, do not believe lies. Hold on to the truth. And the third thing is this, wait. Wait for the Lord. Don't be afraid. See that you are not alarmed when these things take place. The end is not yet happening. Jesus tells us in our lesson today that if God were to just let his hand loose and the world were to run its course, terrible things would happen to all of us. None of us could survive. But God cuts short the days of every tribulation. In our gospel lesson, Jesus is talking specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem, something that happened in the year A.D. 70. When the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem, they held the city in a siege and people fled to the mountains and it was the worst kind of suffering that has ever been experienced. A siege is dreadful. Jesus says if those days were not cut short, even the elect, God's people, might fall away. But for their sake, God has preserved a remnant. God cuts short the days of trouble. Whatever trouble, whatever sorrow, whatever grief, whatever tragedy or disaster you might experience or whatever you might imagine experiencing in this life, know this, God has promised to preserve you. He has promised to take care of you, even in the face of the worst disaster imaginable. Take your pick from all of those disaster movies. If you were in one of those movies, you would be safe, because God has promised to preserve you. Nothing can harm you. The proof is this, very simply. That Jesus has gone through death already. He has conquered our chief enemy, the devil, who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus has muzzled him and put him to shame. He cannot harm you. Nothing in this world can harm you. Even if they take away your life, they cannot harm you. So do not be afraid. That usually is our first impulse. When we hear about wars and rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, plague, or any of the disasters that befall the earth, we are first of all tempted to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus said, 
these things are going to happen. In fact, they must take place. The earth is in labor. The beginning of the birth pains are underway, so naturally there will be all kinds of disaster. It is no worse now than it ever has been, and so don't be afraid. Actually, the only thing that you would ever have to fear is if you were to believe lies. So here's the second thing Jesus says. Don't believe lies. There will be all kinds of false messiahs, false prophets, false hopes, false Christs who come and offer to you a false salvation. See how easily deceived the people of Israel were in Exodus chapter 32. Take this for your warning. Exodus chapter 32 has occurred just after the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God. You remember how the story goes. They were slaves, and Pharaoh was threatening to destroy the entire nation, essentially. They were to toss their baby boys into the Nile River. Pharaoh was a wicked king who wanted to oppress and hold at bay the people of Israel. So God sent Moses with signs and wonders, ten plagues on the people of Egypt, so that at the end of those plagues, everyone in the land acknowledged that the Lord God was mightier than the gods of Egypt. He was mightier than the Nile River, mightier than the sun in the sky. He was mightier than any of their gods, and he was saving his people. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They sent them running. The Egyptians said, here, take all of our gold, take all of our possessions, just get out of here. Your God is too great for us. And when they got to the edge of the Red Sea, God parted the waters for the people of Israel so they could walk through on dry ground. And God has said to the people of Israel, I will be your God, and you will be my people You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you. See what I have done for you. I am taking you to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And on the way, they stopped at a mountain, Mount Sinai. And God called Moses up to the top of the mountain where he was going to give him his law, which wasn't about accusing or holding the people at arm's length, but instead it was a set of promises that God was giving to the people. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm your God, and here is how we live together. Moses was on the mountain talking to God, and the people of Israel started looking at their watches. Forty days, he's been gone for a long time. We don't know what happened to that fellow, this Moses guy. Who was that guy anyway? I don't even remember what he looked like. He's been gone on the mountain for so long. And just like that, the people of Israel forgot entirely everything that God had just done for them in the last two months. It was gone from their minds. And they said to Aaron, here, we've got a better idea than trusting in God or following this Moses guy. You make for us gods who will lead us into the promised land. And Aaron, being a weak fool, said, sure, go ahead and give me all of your jewelry, all of your gold, all of your rings. I'll take all of it. And he tossed them into the fire and formed a golden calf and said to the people of Israel, here are your gods. A false hope. What a dreadful lie. Here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt? How could they believe that? How could they fall victim to such a silly, foolish idea? And yet, there it was. Forty days of Moses on the mountain, it was too long for them. They couldn't be patient. They couldn't wait. They couldn't remember. They couldn't trust that God was with them, that God had made promises to them. If it was that easy for the people of Israel to fall away, how easy would it be for you and me? As Jesus tarries, he's gone up on the mountain, he's ascended into the heavens, 
and we are waiting for his return, and it is long past 40 days, will our patience wear thin? Jesus says, don't believe false hopes. Don't listen to lies. Don't look at a golden image and imagine that that is your salvation. Don't imagine that anything but the Lord your God can deliver you. What kinds of false hopes are presented to us today? Not usually a golden calf, although gold offers all kinds of ridiculous promises. People tend to believe that if they could accumulate enough in this life, everything would go well for them. Listen to how St. Paul puts the kinds of deceptions that are afoot in the last days. St. Paul says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Take your pick from that long list of things that people fall in love with in this life, hoping in them falsely. None of those things, none of those things that our hearts desire, none of the things that our hearts crave can deliver, and so don't believe them. Don't listen when money or possessions or temporal comfort and security offers you peace. Don't listen when negotiating with the truth, compromising on the truth, offers you peace. Don't listen when relationships offer you peace. It is Christ and Christ alone, and his word and his promises alone, which can save you in the day of difficulty. Anything else will let you down. Christ's promise rests on this. Believe my word. Trust in me, he says. Troubled times are coming. They always have been. They always will until the end. And so, do not be deceived. Listen to Jesus. St. Paul goes on in his letter, his second letter to Timothy. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is why your ears, as I so often say, and I will never stop saying, why your ears must be full of God's word. Do not accumulate for yourself teachers who scratch every itch that you've got, but instead listen to what Jesus says. Make sure that you know his voice. Make sure that you are trusting his promises. And wait for the Lord. It is a time of waiting, and this is perhaps one of the most difficult things. I always think about this when I see somebody in the hospital who is waiting for a diagnosis, for a test, for surgery, just to get released. Waiting is awful. And yet, Jesus tarries. He makes us wait. He makes us exercise patience He makes us hone in on his promises, listen more attentively to his word. He does that so that we learn to trust in him alone. So that we could pray as David prays in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That is God's promise to you. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And when things are as they were in the days of Noah, everyone living their lives as though nothing is going to change, everyone living their lives as though there were no judgment coming, as though sin has no consequences, as though God is not in his heaven waiting to come down, in that day, Jesus will return. And here's the promise for you. It will be like the light rising in the east, shining to the west, where all of a sudden, when the light dawns, you can see it. You don't ever have to wonder about missing Jesus. When he comes, you will know it. You who have heard his voice will recognize his voice. You who have seen his wounds on the cross, you will recognize your Savior, and you will rejoice at the sound of his voice. And everything that he has promised to you will be delivered to you, and so all that he asks of you now is the same thing that he asked of the people of Israel as they stood at the shore of the Red Sea, just wait. Just wait and see how God keeps his promises. Wait and see how much he loves you. He sent his son to forgive you all of your sins. He sent him into the grave, to the depths of hell for your sake. If that is what he has done for you, then nothing in this life, nothing in this life can harm you. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.